we're in Joshua chapter 5, and uh, so if you're not there, please turn there with me. Right after the books we've been looking at, right after the book of Deuteronomy, we leave the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and come to the book of Joshua. And we're going to look at Joshua chapter 5. We're going to look at several uh, passages this morning, but we're going to begin in Joshua chapter 5. There's an interaction in Joshua chapter 5 between Joshua and man who's identified as commander of the army of the Lord. It goes into chapter 6, but we're just going to look at chapter 5, the end of chapter 5 this morning. So if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, if you're able to do so, and we'll look at uh, chapter 5, the end of it, beginning in verse 13. We read, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. And the passage that we're reading in Joshua, the message this morning, just as a reminder, is part of our series dealing with the, the promise of the gospel, uh, seeing Christ in, in all of Scripture. And we find ourselves here in Joshua 5, and we'll look at some other passages this morning, seeing some very gospel truths, some very important gospel truths about how we respond to Jesus Christ. So let's pray once more as we look to this passage. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. Lord, open our hearts, transform our minds, renew our minds as we look to your son Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. As we see the Old Testament, we see the story of God's redemption of his people, the New Testament tells us that as we look at the story of God's redemption of his people in the Old Testament, we're, we're seeing a picture of, of our redemption. God, as he delivers his people out of bondage of slavery in Egypt and, and delivers them into the promised land, the New Testament tells us that's, that's a picture of our redemption God bringing us from the bondage of, the sl of slavery to sin into the glory of being a part of his presence. And as we look at scripture and we see this story of redemption, what we see is a very important truth. We see that, that faith in God produces obedience, which leads to blessing. In fact, Hebrews chapter 3 describes this, this blessing that comes from obedience to God, that, that comes from a heart of faith. And as the writer of Hebrews is, is talking and, and writing, he talks about the story of, of the Israelites and their rejection of God and, and the discipline they received. And I want to read just a little bit of what he writes. He's beginning by quoting Psalm 95. And, and I want you to see the application he makes of the story of the Israelites as they rejected God. He writes, beginning in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3, again, he's quoting the psalmist in Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, 
where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked, provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then the writer of Hebrews, after quoting the psalmist, he goes on to make this application. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that the Israelites' disobedience came from a heart of unbelief. That unbelief, we're going to see this again and again this morning, unbelief led to disobedience, which caused them to experience God's displeasure. Whereas faith, belief, produces obedience, which leads to God's blessing. It's such an important gospel truth to understand. You know, as a parent, I understood that, that one of the, my, my tasks as I raised especially young children was to help them see this truth that disobedience brings unhappiness and obedience brings pleasure and, and life and, and joy. When a child is, is obedient, I wanted my, my children to see that, that life is pleasant for them. Things go well for them. When they're disobedient, thing, things don't go so well for them. For example, our kids would sometimes, and, and maybe your children have never struggled with this, but my children, uh, having uh, me as a father, have, they have this, this sin nature, and sometimes we would be prepared to, to give them something. Maybe it was dinner time, and we are getting ready to give them some food, or we were getting ready to, to give them some sort of treat after dinner. And uh, what would happen in our children's lives is as we're getting ready to give them this good thing, they would begin to complain, or they begin to whine, or they begin to throw a temper tantrum, like they, they want it right, right away. And as they begin to do that, Whitney and I made a decision very early on in our parenting. We said, you know what, when our children begin to throw a temper tantrum or they whine to get something they want, even if we were about to give it to them anyway, we said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not, we want them to understand that disobedience doesn't bring happiness. Now, why would we do that? Why would we be, like, were we just some sort of sadistic parents that wanted to, our children to suffer? No, that was just like a bonus. Um, I wanted my children to understand, look, when you complain or you whine or you throw a temper tantrum, good things don't happen. Even when I was about to give you something happy and, and good and make your life pleasant, you, you cry, you fuss, you whine at me, you interrupt me when I'm talking to your mom. At that moment, you're not going to get what, whatever it is you want. I don't care what it is. Whatever it is you want, I'm not going to give it to you at that moment. Beca not because I'm some sort of mean dad. That's not why. It's because I want them to see that obedience brings blessing. Disobedience does not. I want to keep their hearts soft to the Lord. This morning we're looking in the book of Joshua. And as we look in the book of Joshua, we are going to encounter the story of one of my absolute favorite people in all of Scripture. A guy named Caleb. Caleb is one 
awesome dude. <laughs> this man is amazing. And as we look at this story, I hope that you'll see the, the excitement that I have, and, and that will have your, you'll be excited about this guy in his life as well. And as we look at the story of Caleb, here's again the central idea I want you to grasp. I've said it already. We'll say it many times this morning. I want you to grasp this. The gospel promises us that faith, that is belief, trust, faith produces obedience, which leads to blessing. Genuine biblical faith, trust in God, is inevitably going to produce obedience, fruit, work that will lead to blessing. That's an essential promise of the gospel. And so often as we live our Christian lives, we fail because we don't understand that, that reality, those, those three parts of, of what I've just said. In other words, we sometimes miss out on one of those parts, and as we miss out on one of those parts, we fail to live in light of the gospel. So for example, I may believe that faith should produce works. But I don't understand that works are going to bring God's blessing. And so as I live my Christian life that way, what's happening? There's a, a drudgery to it. There's a, okay, this is what I have to do. I have faith, so I have to produce these works. And as I'm doing these things, I don't understand. Look, this is joy and delight, and, and God's blessing is, is promised to me as I, as I do these things. Or perhaps I, I believe that obedience is going to produce blessing. And so I'm doing all these things, you know, I'm, I'm serving in the church, or I'm, I'm being really nice to people, and I'm, I'm being a good friend, and I'm, I'm trying to help homeless people, or people who are uh, starving, other, I'm doing all these things because I want God's blessing, but it doesn't begin with faith, and, and that's not living out the gospel life. Or, I just simply believe, look, faith produces God's blessing. I prayed a prayer when I was four years old, mom told me about it, and, and I, I have this faith, I've, I've, I've said some nice things about God, therefore I'm going to experience God's blessing. Even though, as I look at my life, I see no evidence of a, a heart transformed by the gospel. I see no works, I see no obedience, I see no fruit. What does the gospel proclaim, teach us? The gospel promises me, as I respond to faith in Jesus Christ, my heart is transformed, and there are going to be fruits, there's going to be obedience that comes from that, and that's going to bring God's blessing. The obedience doesn't cause me to be right before God. The obedience inevitably flows from a heart of faith. That's what we're going to see as we look at the life of Caleb. So there's, you know, last week we covered one verse. Um, I'm feeling kind of ambitious this morning, so we're going to try like four chapters, okay? <laughs> I wish I was kidding. Uh, we, it worked out first service. You may have seen some people kind of walking out shaking, but we did it, okay? So uh, look at Joshua chapter 5, and we're going we're gonna to look at Joshua chapter 5 just for a moment. I want us to be in Joshua chapter 5, not to see the life of Caleb yet, but to give us kind of our bearings as we look at the book of Joshua, okay? And put Caleb's life in the context of the book of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 5, as you look at Joshua chapter 5, what you need to know is that the book of Joshua can be divided into two parts. The first half, chapters 1 through 12, deal with the conquest of Canaan. The people of Israel are going into Canaan and they're conquering. 
chapters 13 through 24 deal with the inheritance. That is, as they've finished this first phase of conquering the land, they come to Joshua, and Joshua gives all the, the tribes and the families their inheritance portion. He says, you guys are going to live here, you guys are going to live here, you guys are going to live here. That's what's happening in the book of Joshua. So as we come to Joshua chapter 5, they're getting ready to begin the process of conquering Canaan. They're about to enter and uh, deal with the city of Jericho first. And so they've crossed over the Jordan River. The people are now on uh, the western side of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to face their first battle in Jericho. It's evening. As we come to verse 13, Joshua in the evening is, is looking at the city of Jericho. And it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua, being a military commander, recognizing what's about to go down, he sees this this person of, of great stature standing with a drawn sword, and he asks a very relevant question. Um, whose side are you on? <laughs> are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? Are you standing here to oppose me, or are you going to be on our side? And the guy says this. No. Not. Neither. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I've come. And Joshua falls on his face and worships this guy. And then the man, and then asks, what do you want me to do? And tells him this is holy ground. And then in chapter 6, he tells him what he's supposed to do as he comes to Jericho. Very important question then. Who is this guy? Who is this commander? And what do we see and learn about him on the basis of Joshua's response to him? Well, we see that this commander is someone special. Now, as we come to people in Scripture who are engaging in worship, we see there are times that they're engaging in worship wrongly. The object of their worship is, is a, a, an idolatrous uh, object of worship. So, for example, in the book of Acts, uh, Peter and John tell people who begin to, to worship them because they see what they do. They say, no, 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 you don't worship us. Paul, at the end of the book of Acts, as people begin to try to worship him, they say, he says, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just, a, I'm just a guy. In the book of Revelation, John encounters an angel and he sees the, the majesty of this angel. What is he tempted to do? He's tempted to worship him. And what does the angel say? No, 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 I'm just a servant. So great people are not to be objects of our worship. Even angelic messengers are not to be objects of our worship. In Scripture, there is one message that is abundantly clear. There is one person and one person only who is to be the object of our worship, and that person is, is God. So this person here in Joshua chapter 5, uh, we see, is, is God. And I would argue based on what we know of the roles of the different members of the Trinity and, and other places in Scripture, what we see described is what Jesus did in the Old Testament, I would believe that this is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the pre-incarnate Christ, Christ before he came in the flesh in the New Testament. And in Joshua chapter 5, as we look at this, angelic, at this uh, commander of the Lord's army, the second person of the Trinity, I would argue, we encounter a very important theological truth that guides how we understand the rest of the book of Joshua. And that truth 
is that the Israelites are not the ones who conquer Canaan. It's God who delivers Canaan to the Israelites. God, on the basis of his covenant promise with the people of Israel, a covenant promise that we saw in Genesis chapter 12 that he makes with Abram, God keeps his covenant promise to his covenant people. And God's people in the book of Joshua then have this decision before them. Am I going to believe God and trust in his covenant promise and do what he's told me to do and therefore experience his blessing? Or am I going to not believe what he's told me to do and therefore act in a disobedient fashion and therefore receive his displeasure? Their fathers had made the decision to not believe God. And so the people of jo- and Joshua are going to have to make the decision, am I going to be different than my father's mother's? That's the book of Joshua, okay? Now, I want us to look at Caleb within the context of Joshua. And just to make it a little bit more confusing, we're going to leave the book of Joshua, and we're going to travel back in time to to begin the story of Caleb. We really need to begin a few books earlier in the book of Numbers, okay? So turn back to Numbers 13 and 14. And in Numbers chapter 13, we're traveling back in time about 45 years, This is about a year after the people of Israel have left Egypt. They're encamped at Kadesh Barnea, just south of the promised land. And as we come to Numbers chapter 13, what's happened is the people of Israel have come to Moses and they said, Hey Moses, before we go into Canaan, as God has told us to do, before we do what God has told us to do and live in the land the way that God has told us to live in the land, let's do a little map quest here, okay? Let's Google Maps this thing. Let's, let's see where God wants us to go and what we're supposed to do as we go in the promised land. And Moses says, God, what do you think? And God says, yeah, that sounds great. In Numbers chapter 13, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, yeah, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which, what? I'm giving to the people of Israel. This is your land. This is your gift. Feel free to take a little sneak peek. And go, and, and what the purpose of their trip is to do is to go and to look at the different cities that are there and kind of figure out how they're going to go into the land and, and what it's going to be like once they get there. They're to travel from the south to kind of the, the northeast. They're going to stay mostly west of the Jordan River and go ahead, God says, and do that. In fact, he says, take representatives, one representative from each of the 12 tribes, and as you do that, they will be representing the people of Israel collectively and seeing what I've promised to them. And so Moses gathers these guys together. One of them's, by the way, Caleb, another is Joshua. And he gathers these guys. In verse 17, he sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He says to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. See whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. And whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. And whether the land is rich or poor. And whether there are trees in it or not. But be of good courage and bring me back some fruit. (laughs) He says, it was the time of the season of the first ripe grapes. The purpose of this trip is not to determine whether or not God is good. The purpose of the trip isn't to determine whether or not they should do this. The purpose of the trip is to confirm what God has said is true and how they are to be obedient to what God has said. 
And so the trip takes place. The 12 tribes leave in verse 21, and they go up, and they, 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 they travel up north, and then they come back south, and they find these, these, these grapes, this single cluster of grapes that it takes two of them on a, to carry between, uh, between them on a pole, and they, they also brought some pomegranates and some figs. And then the end of the 40 days comes in verse, twi- verse 25, and they return from spying out the land, and they gather everyone together. There's some tension here in the story, right? You know what tension is? A tension is some sort of conflict, either spoken or unspoken, that, that makes you a little bit uneasy. Uh, some of my children, when they were younger, didn't enjoy shows with any sort of tension in them. In fact, in fact one time my daughter Hannah said, Daddy, uh, when she was really little, she said, Daddy, I don't like cartoons. I said, why do you not like cartoons? She goes, Daddy, I don't like cartoons because something bad always happens, you know. It seems like, you know, the mouse and the cat could get along, and then something just starts to to snowball, and things don't go very well for the mouse or the cat. She doesn't like that tension, or she didn't as a child, young child. As we come to this story of the people of Israel, as the spies come back from gathering information about the land, there's, there's tension. Things aren't quite right. Something isn't quite the way it should be. We haven't heard these spies say anything yet. So what's going to happen? Well, everyone's gathered together. Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation are are there, and, and the spies come back, and they bring the congregation together, and it says they, they showed everybody the fruit. Verse 27, we came to the land to which you sent us. Yeah, it flows with milk and honey, and here's your fruit. Moses. <laughs> However, uh-oh, that's not the word you want to see. However, the people. Let me tell you a little bit about the people, Moses. This is something you didn't really mention earlier, Moses. Let's talk about the people. The people are big. The cities are strong. And they talk about all the people who are there. And, and it says, look, uh, this is the situation. And the people, as they hear the spies report, what's interesting, the spies say, yes, what God said about the, the quality of the land, what you said, Moses, about the quality of the land is true, but the people. And as they talk about the people, the congregation begins to get a little bit concerned. And now enter Caleb. Caleb speaks for the first time. And his speech is short. It's simple. It's forceful. What does he say? Verse 30. Everybody, be quiet. Let's go up at once. Let's do this thing. Let's occupy it. Why? We are well able to overcome it. Everybody, be quiet. Let's go right now. Let's do this thing. And then the other spies begin to, to, to report again. And, and uh, before, they've been kind of uh, somewhat objective in their reporting. They've talked about the land and the people. And now they begin to say, no, 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 we're not. We can't do what you've said we can do. We're not able to go against the people because they're stronger than we are. What is this? This is 
not believing God. At the beginning of the chapter, what does God say? I'm giving you this land. The people say, we don't believe you. And because we don't believe you, we're going to be disobedient. You know where that leads, right? Discipline. The people in, in chapter 14, the, the people, the congregation, uh, raise their voices, they cry, they weep, and they begin to, to, to demonstrate their lack of faith in God with these words, we wish we died in Egypt. We wish we died in the wilderness. How much better would it have been to die in Egypt, to die in the wilderness, than to die at the hands of this land, of these people in this land? Let's choose a new leader, and let's go back to Egypt. And now, as the people begin to have that plan, Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, their, their blood turns cold. They recognize what's taking place here, and they begin to beseech the people, no, 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 no. And Caleb speaks again. And he says, along with Joshua, verse 8, or verse uh, 7, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land and he'll give, us, give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. They are bread for us. We're going to eat them alive. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then the people respond with a complete rejection of God. They say, let's stone these guys. And then God enters the picture. What does he say? It says, how long, this is verse 11 of chapter 14, how long will this people despise me and how long will they what? Not believe in me. Unbelief has led to disobedience, which is going to lead to God's discipline and wrath. And what is the discipline that the people experience because of their unbelief? God tells them that those who are 20 years old and, and upward will not enter the promised land. And those children that they were so concerned about being devoured by the land, those are the children who are going to receive God's promise. And so for the next 40 years, God tells them, you will not experience the blessing of the promised land. That's God's discipline. It's what the writer of Hebrews calls the, the deceitfulness of sin. Their hearts are deceived. They don't believe God. Their works demonstrate they don't believe God. And so they experience God's wrath. They don't enter into his rest. They don't experience his blessing. What about Caleb. Can you imagine how difficult things were for Caleb the next 40 years? Can you imagine walking around with these people that essentially caused you to, to lose 40 years out of your life? He's looking at these people thinking, man, this would be my temptation. I'm not saying this is what Caleb thought, but my temptation would be to think, I can't believe these bozos. Look at what they've cost me. I could be in, the, I could be in Canaan right now. I could be taking on some Amalekites right now. 
I, I could be taken on a fortified city. We could be receiving God's blessing. All these people. And there could be a temptation in the heart of a Caleb or Joshua to become bitter. Because bitterness to God's people often results in bitterness toward God, right? But that's not what happens with my man Caleb. <laughs> Let's turn back to the book of Joshua. Let's look at Joshua chapter 14. Joshua's 40 years old in Numbers 13 and 14. 38 years go by, and they begin the conquest in Joshua chapters 1 through 12, and that takes about seven years, and, and now there's this time of dividing out the inheritance, and so it's been, uh, you know, it's been 45 years since Numbers 13 and 14. And Caleb comes to Joshua, and as he comes to Joshua, this is at the time where Joshua is, is, is uh, kind of distributing the land. He's saying, okay, here's where you go, here's where you go, and different families are coming to him. By the way, we think that Joshua was perhaps uh, not originally part of the, of, of the Israel nation. Perhaps his father converted or, or uh, was, was brought into the covenant people, or, or maybe Joshua, but his, his father would seem was perhaps from, from Edom. He was an Edomite, perhaps. And so uh, Caleb, as, as he comes and is, is appearing before Joshua, he may be appearing here as part of the covenant community who wasn't originally part of the community of faith, which makes his story all the more remarkable, right? Anyway, here we are in Numbers 14. He's, he's numbered with the tribe of Judah, and so he, along with the other people from the tribe of Judah, come before Caleb. This is verse 6. They come before Joshua, and uh, Caleb comes up to Joshua, and he goes, uh, Joshua, want to run something by you? Want to give you a little history lesson, remind you, want to just kind of think about this. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God of, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now that land he's talking about is the very land that caused the other people's hearts to melt. He says, That's, that's my land, Joshua. Remember that? And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Everyone else who went with us is dead. Everyone who was 20 years old and upward at the time is dead. I'm still alive. 45 years later, just as God said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I'm 85 years old, and I love this verse 11, I am still as strong today as I was back then. <laughs> it's been 45 years, and I am just as ready to fight now as I was then I have been waiting for this for 45 years. Would someone please let me take on these guys? This is a guy of faith. He's just as confident in God's promises at 85 as he was at 40. 
give me this hill country, he says, verse 12, of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with the great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. That sent chills down your spine. What does Caleb have? What have we said? Faith produces obedience, which leads to blessing. Does Caleb have faith? You know, Caleb's faith isn't some momentary pleasure with God. Oh, you know, I'm going to this land, this fruit seems nice. Oh, this would be, I kind of believe that I should, should come here. I have a feeling that I should come here. And then 40 years go by, and he kind of thinks about it occasionally, and then he comes to 85, oh, you know what, that would be nice. I hadn't thought about that. That would be kind of fun to do. That's not Caleb. That's not biblical faith. And Caleb doesn't come to Joshua and says, Joshua, I kind of have this feeling. I have this, I have this feeling that this is what God wants me to do. I just kind of sense it. I, I was kind of daydreaming, and I, and I had this daydream, and I kind of, I want to do this, and so I have faith that this is what God wants. That's what a lot of us mean sometimes when we say, I have faith that God will do this, right? I have faith that God wants me to have this promotion. I have faith that God really wants me to marry this, this young lady, or I have faith that God wants me to, to have uh, this, this type of family. You know, sometimes that's not faith, that's just presumption. You know what, no one ever no one has ever come to me and said, you know what, Daniel, I have faith. I really believe in my heart that God is calling me to a year of trial. I just kind of believe that God is going to bring me through a time of suffering so I can be, become more like him this year. just kind of sense that. I don't, that's not what our senses te- seem to tell us sometimes, right? Caleb's faith is not some wishy-washy, yeah, I kind of have this sense. Listen to what he says in the text. L- look at it again. Listen to to what he says about the the type of of faith that he has, what he's basing his faith on. Verse 6, he says, you know what the Lord said. Verse 10, uh, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said. The, The Lord spoke this word to Moses. Verse 12, give me the hill country of which the Lord spoke. Uh, Caleb's faith is in what God says. And, and then uh, he, he has this obedience. Look at the obedience that he has. Verse 8, I followed him. He says, uh, holy, I wholly followed the Lord. Moses swore to me, he says, because, Moses said to me, because you've wholly followed the Lord, my God. He receives God's blessing because, verse 14 says, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Caleb is a person who had faith in God it manifested itself in obedience. He believed God's promise. It manifested itself in obedience, and therefore he received God's blessing. We see it in chapter 17. He receives the land that God had promised him. Is that an awesome guy or what? <laughs> There's three applications I want us to think through as a community of faith this morning as we see this, this truth played out in the book of Joshua. Remember, the gospel promises me that my faith is going to produce obedience, which will bring blessing. So, number one, you need to believe that God saves. Believe that God saves. The gospel tells us that we are sinners 
that we're in the bondage of sin, and just as the Israelites needed to be rescued from that, that bondage of sin, you and I all have this, this need to be rescued from sin, no matter how moral we are compared to other people, no matter how, how nice we are to, to really uh, little children, no matter how much candy we gave out at Halloween, you and I are sinners. <laughs> and we are in need of a Savior. And my confidence is not that my confidence is not that I can do enough works, be a nice enough guy to receive God's blessing. What I have to do is I have to begin with faith and say, I've got nothing. In and of myself, I have nothing. But I believe that Jesus Christ came, lived the perfect life for me, died in my place, rose from the dead, and I am placing my complete trust in him alone. I believe that God saves. Here's a second application from the gospel truths in the story. I need to live like God saves. Brothers and sisters, here's where I, I think we have the most to think about. So oftentimes we want to begin with belief and get right to blessing. Mom told me I prayed this prayer when I was three, so I think I can receive God's blessing. I, I know that right now my life shows absolutely, positively no indication that I am a believer, that I love God, but I'm waiting for God's blessing because I have faith. It's not faith, that's presumption. True biblical faith, true life-changing trust in Jesus Christ alone, making him Lord and, and Savior of our life, means I, I trust in him alone and it means my heart is transformed and I'm going to see the fruit of that in my life and here's the thing that scares me so often as we look in our lives we see no fruit of that faith you think you think Caleb had an easy 45 years you think year after year of continuing to trust God was pretty easy on Caleb absolutely not and what you and I should see in our lives is the continued fruit of year after year continuing to see the obedience that comes from believing what God said is true. That means that as, as, a, as a child, I, I, continue, I believe in God, I place my trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and then I, I live like God has saved me. I, I am respectful to my parents. I, I honor them in my conduct. I, I love the saints. If I'm in a marriage relationship, I, I honor my marriage vows. I, I continue not just whenever things, not, not just assuming I'm going to receive the blessing right away, the, the image of, of what I thought my marriage should look like or the image of what I think my family should look like or what I think my schooling should look like. But it means as I await God's blessing, I'm continuing to be obedient year after year after year after year like Caleb, demonstrating that I have true biblical faith. I want to play, I want you to listen to the words of, a, of Robert McQuilkin. Maybe you've heard his testimony before, many of you have. Uh, Robert McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College. And in 1990, uh, the, his, his wife, uh, Muriel, developed, uh, well, she had developed Alzheimer's and he had tried to care for her. In 1990, he realized he could no longer remain the president of Columbia and care for his wife. And so he had a very uh, what, what some would say was a very difficult decision. He would say it was not a difficult decision. It was very easy, and he resigned as president. And people came to him and said, look, your wife has Alzheimer's. This is what you, you know, you're an important part of God's kingdom. You need to continue as president. He said, no, 
And I want you to listen to what he said about the reasons that he decided to step down as president of Columbia Bible. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror, and when she can't get to me, there can be anger, she's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. What a beautiful picture, right? His words bring us to the last point that I'd encourage us to think about. And that's receive God's blessing. Receive the desires of your heart. See, if you'd asked someone who didn't have faith, let's say a Ro Robert McQuilkin who, who didn't have faith, what if you had come to him as a young man and said, uh, Robert, how would you like to enter into a marriage where you will have to resign from your position and you will be forced to care for your wife the last uh, 13 years of her life. She passed away in 2003. You think he would say, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like something I, I'd like. I, I doubt it. But instead, a man of faith at an early age said, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe in God. And I'm going to live a life of obedience. And, and then when the blessing came, it wasn't the blessing perhaps in, in ways that he would have expected it to look. I mean, who would have known that, that a person could find delight in, in having to sacrifice so much, seemingly so much? You see, if we just begin, this is, this is so crucial, if we just begin by, by, by pursuing the blessing, we are going to follow paths that do not bring joy and delight. The people of Israel, they said, look, I don't want discomfort. I don't want to face these fortified cities. I don't want to face these, these big people. Uh, I'm going to pursue blessing, and so I, I'd rather go back to Egypt. A person says, look, I, I want happiness in my marriage, so I'm not going to pursue faithfulness in this covenant relationship. I'm going to, to uh, not be honor in my marriage, so I'm going to pursue something else. Instead, what God calls us to is this. Look, 
believe in me and then be obedient to me, produce the, the fruit of, of works and obedience to me, and then you will experience delight in places you would never expect it because that's where you find me. Robert McQuilkin finds delight as he cares for the spouse because it's there where God is. Caleb enters into a relationship with the Lord by faith and continues to believe and believe and believe and do the very difficult things that, that demonstrate that belief. And he experiences God's rest, his blessing. Brothers and sisters, God has called you to a life of faith, to believe in him, to trust in him, to make him Lord and Savior of your life. And brothers and sisters, at the moment that you make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, he is going to call you in some directions that you might not choose to go in and of yourself. His call on you is to be obedient. To live in a way with your friends that is not how you might want to live on your own if you're seeking your own delights, to, to live in a, in, a, in a dating relationship or a, to, to pursue things in, in terms of, of the opposite sex that, that naturally wouldn't say, well, that's not going to bring me very much happiness. And, and God says, be obedient, obedient to me in that. In your marriage relationship, to call you to th- God's going to call you to things as a result of your faith in him that as you, as you pursue that obedience, boy, that doesn't seem like that's going to be the path that brings me obedience. In your workplace, is going to call you to make decisions. That you think, boy, if I'm just pursuing blessing, this doesn't seem like the path to get it. And as you are obedient to God, both in this life and the life to come, that's where you're going to find blessing, is in that continued obedience. Not a momentary obedience, not a, a moment of, oh, I think I'll do what God wants, but in a lifetime of continued obedience faithfulness, demonstrating your love and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Caleb, a story not about him per se, but about you and your faithfulness and your allowing him to do great things because of his faith in you. Lord, we pray that we would not have a heart of deceitfulness, not a heart, not a heart deceived by, by sin, not a heart hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, but a heart transformed by the gospel, that we believe you, believe in your promises, and receive your blessing. We pray this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.